0: From the Salvation Army National Headquarters, this is the Fight for Good Podcast.
1: Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fight for Good Podcast. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Tim Foley. We're broadcasting from Alexandria, Virginia, Old Town, Virginia, in National Headquarters, sorta, kinda. We're all still scattered today to the four winds. And with me, as always, is my left and right hand man, my left and right foot, right foots as well, because we're kicking, we're kicking in doors today. Mr. Jeff McDonald, our editorial director. Hi, kicking Colonel. It down. We're,
2: we're kicking it as always. Thank you. Great to be with you on these enlightening and
1: fun podcasts contrary to our sister podcast team uh i even forget the name of their podcast oh. uh, that's because i'm a, a grumpy old man elizabeth our producer is with us as well hi elizabeth
0: hello and you are so the opposite of grumpy old man
2: like <laughs> oh, wait young, a minute. i've heard you dapper. call him a, i've i've heard you call him a curmudgeon before i think
1: Oh, yeah. Elizabeth, though, remind my failing memory. What was the name of that other Our Sister podcast? I just I just can't
0: remember. I know. It's easy to forget. Uh, the Battle Line.
1: Oh, oh yes. that's right. It's okay. The Battle Line with those young whippersnappers. Anyways, we hope you're listening to The Battle Line because that's a lot of fun. Uh, Captains Matt and Jamie Satterley. I will, though, producer Elizabeth, I will remind you that they become old majors in a couple of months, so, so what? Oh yeah, we're Ooh, gonna have guacamole. a little bit of fun at that. <laughs> well, with us today is uh, a superstar on our staff, and he's back for a second go round because he was on our podcast here, Elizabeth. What about how many? How many months ago did it was we have January, our special guest? Or late, late December, yeah. And our podcast like went crazy, right? I, I mean, Swain. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And so we said, we're sitting around a big table, like in a big room where we don't sit anymore, but an imaginary room, and we're like, okay, who are people that we can have uh, talk, you know, and whatever. And we know that this unsung hero in our staff that works so hard behind the scenes, Major Swain, he's our brainiac, he's our historian, he's our go-to utilitarian guy, And I am so thrilled today to welcome my friend and colleague, Major Jason
0: Swain. Welcome to the Fight for Good podcast, sir. It's great to be back again. I can't believe it's just been uh, a couple of months. Wow. Time flies.
1: I told you we were going to make you famous, right? (laughs) we were going to make you famous but you know uh, what we find and elizabeth you can speak into this we find our history segments in the war cry and on our social media feeds those usually get the most attention isn't that right
0: it doesn't matter what it is it's always number 1 it's incredible
1: yeah and so and i know you're working with major swain and with archives and you're you're working with uh, salvation factory you're you're kind of finding all kinds of different new uh, new history, but what I have appreciated the last three years working with Major Swain is his historical brain uh, that he has. He's got this capacity, but he's also very passionate about Salvation Army history because we. Well, Major Swain, why are you
0: passionate in
1: the first place about history in general?
0: Why, why is it important? Well, it's interesting, um, you, you know, and and it always revolves around people, no matter what era you study, whatever, whatever. It's always about people. People did these things. You know, uh, uh, we can, we can talk about our, our f- fantastic machines that we have nowadays, but, uh, it's still people uh, who invented them. And in, in years to come, you know, they'll be talking about these 20, 20, 20, 21 years, uh, uh of the, of the p- pandemic. And, and it'll be revolve around people, uh, the people who, who, did something or didn't do something and uh in a hundred years or 200 years you know it'll be it'll be it, it'll be history by that time and in, in in truth yesterday was history uh you know it's it's past we can't repeat it so uh but it's always a role, revolves around people and and you the more you study history the more you you understand the modern world that we live in decisions made just five years ago impact us today but, but not even that, decisions that were made a 1,000 years ago, in, in, even in a far-off country, impact us today. And uh, the, 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 inter- the other interesting thing is that it's never certain things could have gone a different way. So, you know, uh, it, it's true with the Salvation Army. It's true with, with, with the Civil War. It's true with the uh, American Revolution. It's true of any, any wars we've been in. It's 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 just it's so it's unpredictable. What we have is what happened. Uh you know, but if you go back, there is a sense of, well, what if this, what if that, what if this, what if that? Same, same with us today. A decision made today across the river, uh in in the in the capital might, you know, will impact us down the line, maybe not today, but maybe in 10 years, 50 years, a thousand years. Uh, you know, you never know. And so uh, it's those two aspects as people and this, this little uncertainty you have. Now, we're reading it as, as a certain fact, but um, back then, they didn't see it that way.
1: Well, the thing that I've been, uh, since I arrived in uh, D.C. Uh, a couple of years ago, was to spend time not only with you, but with my predecessor, Lieutenant Colonel Alan Satterley, who also had a great love for history. And I, uh, as a Westerner, not familiar with the East Coast and Southern history and whatnot but I was always intrigued by the Civil War and Revolutionary War and both of you have been invaluable in just guiding me on on some you know interesting tidbits and different authors and things uh, people that you've read and and my wife and I have had the privilege of spending a little bit of time with you in some of the places around here and so just to let you know you're greatly appreciated by me. Uh, personally, and also by our staff, because this is a historical time, too, that we're experiencing. Our War Cry, our our whole publication department, this is a little bit of history this past year with um, during the pandemic and meeting all our deadlines, and wouldn't you agree on that?
0: Oh, yeah. Um, I I was uh, listening to a, a BBC broadcast, and they were talking about some of the historical moments of this past year. And uh, they were talking about pandemics of the past as well. And one of the things that they brought up that I never really considered was that working from home 20 years ago, 100 years ago, back on all the way back was impossible. Uh, You know, we didn't have Internet. We didn't have uh, computers. We didn't, you know, you you had to go to work. Uh, And so there was there was no working from home like we have known it this past year. I, 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 it just, it was an aspect I'd never thought about, uh, that, 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 you know, in years past you had to go to work. And so there were, you, you know, people just, just did it and there was no lockdowns and cause there was just no way it was, it was ever going to happen. But we were able this year because of the technology that I mentioned because of, of internet and because of the, of, uh, laptops and iPads and whatever, uh, you, we could work from home, effectively. And I think we in the publications department have definitely proved that we have hit it every deadline. We've hit every issue for a year now. Uh, and which,
1: which, which the challenge will be is, is we have our administration is wanting everybody to come back yeah. to the building. But when you look at some business models and companies that are out there, especially uh, companies that are filled with millennials, some of those office spaces are never going to be occupied again. You know, they're going to they're continuing this the same model uh, that has been developed. There was a
0: there was a great article in, I believe it was USA Today, but it may have been another another publication that was talking about uh, small business offices that have decided that they don't need the expense of the quote unquote office anymore. And so, because of the you know being able to work from home, and that they are going to meet. If they have to meet at all in person, they're just going like to call an employee meeting at like a restaurant or something when we, when we get to that point because they could talk through, through the internet, uh, have their business meetings. They can do their work. It's all online anyway. And, and so they were, they, were, they were highlighting these five or six companies who are basically going to save hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars by not having an office space.
1: Um, well, well, that's a and that's a podcast for another day, and <laughs> it's not a conversation. Any of us in this podcast today are, at you know, I mean, we can have our opinions about it, but uh, it is what it is. But we we brought you here today because we and we have a few few questions that we want to ask you. And I'm I'm gonna, Jeff, you've you've been over there quietly taking a nap while uh, Major Swain and I have been, huh, chatting. See, <laughs> that's I said uh, I. This, folks, is what I I have to work with. You know, I just can't believe it. But, uh, Jeff, I was wondering if you wanted to jump into the fray here and uh, ask Major Swain a couple things.
2: Thank you, Colonel. Appreciate that. Yeah, there's so much we can delve into. Um, Really appreciate Major Swain's um, historical highlights column that's been running in the War Cry where he's spotlighting different, um, aspects of Salvation Army history. Um, I'm, I'm, and of course that's available at thewarcry.org. I'm always impressed how the Army, the Salvation Army history and Salvationists, um, enjoy their own history and are very, um, self-examining. And I think that's one reason why the Army continues to, uh, Continues in its mission and perpetuates its mission well, because it, the army is so conscious, uh, self-conscious of its history, its roots, and what it means and what it might mean for the future. So, with that, uh, Major Swain, I know that you have expertise in in many fields in history. I do have a couple of quotes for you that kind of resonate with what you were saying. One says, "The only normal people are the ones you don't know very well." <laughs> The other is the study of history is a powerful antidote to contemporary arrogance. So, one of the questions I would ask offhand is: um, wh- Who are some of your favorite characters in Salvation Army history, and also what lessons from history do you think will help the army move into the modern era,
0: into this era? Hmm. That's. Let me let me do the second one first. The uh, the Salvation Army is always I want to say reinventing itself not as not as a not in the not in the um, doctrinal views or anything. Our doctrines have never changed um, for hundred and fifty some odd years, uh, but we've changed tactics. We've changed styles. We've changed publications, um, we, you know, you, you know, all these things have, 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 we changed, seems like every 20 or 30 years we kind of go, go through a, through a change. Uh, so I think, I think with the advent of social media, which we have gotten on and we're getting better at every year, seems like we're getting better. Uh, the advent of uh, uh, more media coverage, uh, traditional media coverage. Um, the thing that we're going to have to look at really um soon not now uh, but within the next decade is uh do do our print media still do we still need the print media uh uh uh, you know uh for a long time i thought we i thought we were kind of going away from it totally and so many newspapers magazines publications went away as, as far as a physical but it's interesting because the the ebook slash um, print, non-print media has plateaued for the past three years. Uh, it, it's not risen and it's not decreased. It's just kind of flatlined. So uh, and there is a movement, uh, of course, of uh, speaking of publications. People want books. People want to hold a book and read a book. There's something about a book. Uh, so at least for the time being, I think we're good there. Uh, internationally, uh, you know, what's going to change is the, the decrease of the, um, English speaking world, uh, Britain, America, Australia, New Zealand, uh, the British English speaking world, uh, as far as membership and number of officers and the increase, uh, of Asian and African, uh, churches, Salvation Armies especially. Uh, I mean, when you have a country that, that like um, Kenya that splits into two different territories, uh, Kenya is, a, you know, a, a small portion of the size of the United States and yet they have cores of, of thousands of people. Uh, you know, uh, and I'm thinking a core with a thousand people, not cores of a thousand people, you know, a church core of a thousand people and there's multi multis of them. I even heard they're talking about splitting, uh, splitting it again. So uh, that's, that's the challenge. The challenge will be, will be to kind of redefine where we are, you know, in, in, in in the world. Uh, Now, some of my favorites, oh gosh, there's so many, uh, so many interesting characters, so many interesting pioneers, Uh, but I, I have found a thread in some research that I've been doing. They all have a certain uh, thread in that they were all passionate about the army uh, and they were also filled with energy. I mean, boundless energy. They would get up early in the morning and go all day and then attend an all night prayer meeting, you know, 12, 1, 2 in the morning, and then do it again. Day after day after day after day, they, they all—or at least not all, but a good portion of these 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 men and women—all had this. And, and you read about—they kept saying their you know their drive and their energy, and they had a, 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 a passion for for doing doing what they were doing. Uh, and you've got you've got folks like Railton, uh, George Scott Railton, who was our first commissioner here in the United States, but he joined the. Uh, Christian Mission, as it was called back then, as as William Booth's secretary, and he becomes indispensable. Uh, he's the top three of, 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 of leadership uh, as William Booth, Bramwell Booth, and George Scott Railton. He's the there. That's the three top three, and he becomes indispensable. He gets sent to America. And he does some wild and crazy things over here but then he continues to do that he, I mean, he comes goes back to England he still does wild and crazy things he, he gets sent to Germany and he pioneers the work in Germany and then he comes back and, and it's just back and forth he goes and he's all over the world doing things and uh, uh, you know uh, his end kind of comes a little ingloriously but he's still an active officer and he is in Germany and he's going to on a he's going to Switzerland and he uh, Stops uh, in Germany for a layover. We would call a layover, and he leaves his bags at the at the train station with a porter. He goes to visit a, the the officer couple that is in is, is in Germany and uh, Cologne, and he has tea with them, and he stays with them for a while. And then he they realize he stayed a little bit too long, so he rushes back to the to the train station, grabs his bags from the porter, and runs up the uh, the stairs. And literally jumps on the train as it's leaving the station, gets to a seat, collapses in a heap and dies, Uh, uh, has a heart attack and dies right there in in Germany. Uh, But, you know, he was, uh, you know, he was in his 60s, late 60s and and doing that kind of thing, you know. But that was kind of energy kind of person he was the first uh, the first. Salvationists that came to America, the Shirley family were all amazing people. They came in, like in waves, but uh, uh, you know Eliza, who I've I've come to really respect, she was 15 years old uh, when she was commissioned a lieutenant in the Salvation Army. Uh, she was such a, a fervent. Bible-believing Christian that, that she was impressed, uh, General Booth, and he commissioned her and sent her to the north of England uh, as an assistant. She was made a lieutenant uh, a few few weeks later. And she, she did some amazing work up there. And then uh, her parents decided uh, for economic reasons to move to America. And uh, she just, even though she was far away from them, she didn't want to be that far away from them. And so she wrote and said, can I go? And there's kind of a back and forth of you shouldn't really go you're you're committed to the salvation army now and finally they kind of re, they kind of kind of relent and then they said uh, well if you're there you might as well start something along the lines of the salvation army and that's where we get the beginnings the early beginnings uh here in this country
2: yeah so um yeah it reminds me of the 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 phrase that history would have been different if Cleopatra's nose had been a little shorter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, there's a sense... Uh, I can't help but think of the sovereignty of God in history hmm. and how that is evident in the Salvation Army's history. Uh, I don't know if you find that in your studies, but what it, what is uh, absorbing your historical interest at present
0: well i'm working on uh, a little little study of the those early days of the salvation army here in america that's why i brought up the shirleys um uh those those first dozen years or so maybe 20 years uh were just just uh interesting in, in all that happens all that goes on it's fascinating because so much happened so quickly I um, mean, you've got the Shirley's here in 1879, and they've got one little what they they have their trials and tribulations, but they finally get kind of settled, and then they're doing so well. They open a second location, so a second corps. and that's going so well that and they're they're sending reports back to London, and and finally, you know, it's you know we the, the Salvation Army decides okay, we need to officially go, and so officially we. Show up in 1880, but there's already people here. Our two corps in Philadelphia, and it's a uh, it's a hard couple of years. Uh, cores were being opened, uh, but but there was no fundraising base. There was no you know, Salvation Army. What's that? You know, who are you? And uh, it all it, it all kind of kind of came to a head. And then Railton does something strange. He goes off and says, "I'm going to St. Louis." You know, uh, you know, uh, it'd be it'd be like it'd be like the general, you know, saying, "I alone am going to the moon." <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and 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 I'll I will send you my directives from the moon. Uh, that's as strange that I could get it because, you, or you know, or you know, we're going to move international headquarters to Fiji. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And this uh, Railton never did anything that made sense. But he goes by himself and off to St. Louis, 90, uh, 950 miles away from his base here and it's really just New York, New York, New Jersey, new, uh, Philadelphia. It's just that corridor, uh, where the cores are right now. Uh, and then by, uh, he leaves a new, new person comes in and then we get a misunderstanding, uh, of epic proportions. And then we get a little bit of a rebellion, uh, which is the main point of the book that I am working on. And, uh, then that kind of dies out, and then um, we kind of have a reconciliation. But by that time, the Army is all the way out. Uh, uh, if you remember, I said we're just kind of at the beginning. We're just in this Philadelphia-New York corridor. Well, by that time in 1889, we're all the way out to Kansas, Missouri, Minnesota, down into the south, uh, up all the way up to Maine, Canada. We, we, the United States kind of starts in Canada, and Canada becomes its own thing. Uh, you know, we're in Michigan, we're in, we're in, we're in all parts of the South, uh, Atlanta and, and and all the way out West. So we're, we're, you know, and then in California, they start off, you know, out of the air. And so they're working their way West and they kind of do meet eventually. Uh, you know, but, but, but back, back then you gotta remember that, that the middle part of the country past Kansas was still territories. It wasn't a state. Most of those were not States yet. They were just territories and, uh, they would become states in time, but, uh, uh, you know, and the railroads didn't even go all the way out there yet. Um, uh, necessarily.
2: Sounds so, like a lot of grit and determination. And, oh yeah. Well, they did strange. Yeah.
0: They did strange things too. They would, they would, uh, uh, officers back then did not necessarily go to training school. Training schools did not come into, uh, the, the training schools as we know them didn't really come into play until the 18, late 1890s. Uh, back then they had divisional training garrisons, they were called. And, and so maybe in your divisional town, uh, you would have a, you know, a, a corps that would, would accept cadets and you would, in, in, and training was back then was only about three to six months. And then you were commissioned and off you were, you were sent. And so a lot of times what they would do is they would ba- basically take a lieutenant down to the train station with his bags packed, you know, and they would, they would say, Okay. Uh, get off at the next station, and that's your new command. Go, and and that was and that's it. That was it. Like you know, so you could almost track <laughs> cores opening by if you knew the, where the train stations were. You could like, you know, okay, you leave Columbus, Ohio. What's the next station? You know, what's the next stop? Is there a core there? No. Okay, you jump off, and you know, and then maybe six months later, you'd get your your flag. Uh, my favorite story, uh, I may have mentioned this last time, but I'm going to tell it to you again, uh, is of a, a big divisional meeting and, uh, divisional commander calls a lieutenant up on stage and he says, uh, Lieutenant, I want you to go to such and so city and start the Salvation Army there. And I got you a flag and, you know, here's the flag. Uh, and, uh, you know, everybody claps and the lieutenant leans in and says, uh, sir uh what am i supposed to do like what's my budget or and the, my favorite division manager says well i got you a flag <laughs> you know, you know yeah. and go and yeah. uh, uh uh and that it was so funny i i i when i taught civil Army history at the training college in the south i uh, i told that story and uh, one of my cadets thought it was uh, it was false like it was a false story uh, and then uh, commissioning happened, and that is almost word for word what happened at commissioning just three years ago. Uh, Territory commander uh, commissioned a lieutenant uh, to a new opening, and he had a flag for me. And here's your flag. And he looked. He turned around to 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 leave the stage, and he looked right at me. And I just had a big old smile on my face, like "Told you so." It happens. It still happens today. Uh, those are kind of the fun things that happened uh, back then, and I'm working on that, and it's 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 nearing its its completion. So uh,
2: okay, so really in the early days, so were most of these early pioneers converts, and were they related to the Great Awakening that took place in America?
0: Yeah, this uh, uh, here in America, uh, you know the there were officer officers who came from England, but but the the, the, the farther you get from 1880 away the less there are there are still some that come but uh for the most part you're 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 making converts you're attracting people uh, and uh like i said if they have passion and zeal and they have some ability that you recognize they would go to these as i said these divisional training garrisons for six months three months or six months segregated by by sex females went to one males went to another uh and uh you would learn the trade, uh, of being an officer and then they would be sent out. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of times it was, you know, you maybe six months at a, at a, at to be an assistant to kind of learn a little bit more and then they would send you out, you know, maybe someone you had never been, which is still true today. You, you know, uh, uh, Colonel Foley talks about, you know, he's from the Western territory out in California you know, and all of a sudden you get an appointment to Virginia. I mean, you know, culture shock alone, but uh, you know, there's just such a different vibe of life here. But the peanuts um, are really good here. But the peanuts are really. Good. <laughs> it's true.
1: I will. I will admit, though, the one thing that I have not gotten used to is the driving here in, in Virginia. I I I just saw somebody this morning on her way to work did a two lane u-turn right in front of us just like and i started to say something and my wife always is like don't say anything you know you can't change it just keep driving
0: (laughs) yeah i followed i followed a person from a different state here um, the the other day and they were all over the place and i thought where did you learn to drive it's not that way it's true
2: it's it should be a big test
0: Uh,
1: well, Major, there's a lot of different things that we, we could
0: talk or, uh, talk
1: to you about, and I, I we have just a couple of more questions that we want to ask you, and, and specifically if we can speak to them. The first one would be, uh, wh- what is it that you can share with us about the creation and the evolution of of ranks and uniforms in the Salvation Army? Uh,
0: the, the, of course, the Salvation Army used to be called was the Christian Mission, and they had a uh, kind of a basic uniform that we want to, uh, that it, it was mainly for the, what, what, what they would call the evangelists or the leaders of their, of their core, which weren't called core, their mission stations. And they kind of had a, you know, women, you wear this and men, you wear this. So it was kind of the, the standard. And then, you know, when we became the Salvation Army, it was like, well, we need a uniform. You know, so there kind of became a, uh, and if you look at old pictures, there is a bewildering display of uniforms. They are wearing everything and anything. It's, you know, it's anything military. Like they went to the, you know, army supply store or a rag shop and they found a, something, you know, hats, you know, helmets and derbies and all kind of, you know. You know, my favorite one was the, there was a corps in um, New York, I believe. They all wore firemen's hats they got somewhere. Like helmets, like these, you know, and the shield in front had the Salvation Army on it. Uh, so that had to get re- that had to become recognized early on, and we kind of got to a, 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 this. This dark blue was kind of the, an easy cloth; uh, it was cheap to, to make, and, and uh, that was the standard. Ranks were another whole thing. They they came in kind of you know spontaneously, but she's like, okay, what are we going to call, you know, our our officers? Well, at the beginning, there was really only three ranks at the very beginning. Uh, William Booth was the general, easy enough. There was only going to be one, and he was it. Uh, we're going to call our mission stations, which are now going to be called Corps. Uh, we will call them captains, and if they have an assistant, they are lieutenants. So that was the, earl- the earliest ones. Uh, that's, that's from 1878, uh, that, and those are still ranks today, the, the first and second and then they said, "Well, we need to call our staff office or something." Those in charge divisions, and so then they 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 created the rank of major. And then it gets kind of a little uh, discombobulated. There's a bewildering array of ranks that, that happen over the years. Uh, they they come, they go. They they the rank chart expands, it decreases, it expands, it decreases, and you have everything from. Uh, staff captain, which was someone who was on the staff but wasn't a major and a staff captain. You have adjutants and ensigns and senior majors and field majors and commandants and marshal was a, was a rank for a while. And, and he just all, – all these different ranks. Commander. Uh, and uh, they 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 didn't have insignia for all those, right? So they started experimenting with colors. So you could see old pictures. It's kind of hard to tell in black and white pictures, but you can kind of get a sense. There were some greens. There were some purples, reds, you know, yellows. And, you know, uh, so it's kind of hard sometimes when you see these old pictures and you're saying, well, why is his star not on his epaulet? Why is it up on his neck? You know, on because they had high collar uniforms, up on his collar, you know, that makes him a lieutenant. no. <laughs> if it's up on the collar and it's on the front and the front of his of his S that makes him a, an adjutant, you know, it, 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 you just had to know. You just kind of had to know. Uh, luckily, we, like I said, we have we've experimented with different things. We've got down to the basics uh, these days. Uh, you've got lieutenants and captains, your junior ranks, your majors, your senior ranks. And then you've got your lieutenant colonels, colonels, and the uh, commissioners, uh, who are the highest-ranking folks in, in the army world. Uh, they lead territories and do other high-level jobs, and of course the general uh, himself. But the, uh, that 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 all kind of, like I said, they they've expanded, they've collapsed, and and if you don't know, if you see have an old picture of a, a family member and you're not sure. Why their stars are up here, or down there? You know, just ask somebody, uh, and they might be able to tell you uh, why, why that, the way it looked like it did. We'll
2: have them ask you, Major.
0: Swing. Well, yeah, and and, and <laughs> you know, I I got called on one time, um, a, a question because uh, on on a high collar uniform, the with with you know the collar on here, when you're a major, your your major's uh, crest is up on your collar. So if you look at it, you know, from the side, it's an S and then your, your, your major's rank is on the, the left side. And so there's nothing on your epaulet at all. Uh, so it's just blank. And so people were questioning how come, how come my epaulet was blank? And I said, it's not blank. My, my, I'm a major, it's up here. Uh, and same with, if you're a lieutenant colonel, it's the same way, like your 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 crest rank is up here on the collar but the only thing is differentiates which is still true on the modern uniforms is you have this little silver piping around your epaulette so uh it's just a little, it's just it's subtle uh and the changes that, that happen and some people don't like don't know that because it, because it's changed the differences between lieutenant colonel and colonel are on the modern uniforms is one item uh, and that's that's the the s's on our collars uh Full colonels have a silver piping around them. That's the only difference. Uh, on the the, old, different,
1: the difference in duties between yeah, a lieutenant colonel yeah. and colonel are completely <laughs> different.
0: I'm I'm talking uniforms. Uh, yeah. yeah, and 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 the only other, other difference you would be able to tell is on the caps, their hats, which we rarely wear any, anymore. But colonels have a different cap design. Uh, their 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 uh, hat band, or we would call them the bonnet band, has a white. Uh, highlight on it, uh, which is hard to tell because we don't wear them anymore. I guess
2: uh, one of the uh, innovations lately has been the um, assignment of ranks to female officers. Is that right?
0: In well, they've always couples? yeah. They, well, yeah. Uh, that that's a great history question because you know, did if you had Captain and Mrs. Smith, you know or you know she was Mrs. Captain Smith she still wore the rank she was still a captain but they never it was just just uh in my lifetime that they started uh your captain captains you know Joe and Jane Smith uh and and if anything ever happened to Captain Joe you know uh Captain Jane would move on and uh uh there's only there's only and that's they, they had a real conundrum with that uh, when, it, when it got up to the higher ranks, not the commissioners, but uh, with the general. because up until that time, uh, the, the general's wife uh, was always Mrs. General, such and so. Uh, and she wore the, the gold, the gold like everyone else. while well, they said, no no, no, she's got to have her own rank. And so they became commissioners. So now when we speak of the general, we say General Bryan and Commissioner Rosalie Peddle. So she has a rank. She's a commissioner. Uh, And so she wears her commissioner's rank and he wears his general's rank.
2: Yeah. You know, it's amazing. The exponential growth of the Army in its early stages you know, not only in America, but around the world. It's just incredible. So the Army's now in 132 countries, just opened to Bulgaria. It's a remarkable international family. But in the U.S. now, there there are four territories and have been. How did these territories get differentiated, formed?
0: Yeah, in the early days, there was just one. Of course, you know, when you only have 12 corps, it's easy to have just one territory. Uh, it was just the United States territory, uh, for many years, 20, 20 plus years. And then in the 1890s, there was kind of this realization of how really big America is, or the United States is, uh, you know, uh, by that time, the, the California, uh, salvage army was, was, was part of, of, of the United States territory. Uh, you know, we were ranging everywhere in between, uh, and so there was some talk that we need to split this thing up. This thing was a little too bulky. We need to split it up. Well, it took a little bit more time, and it didn't happen until the uh, 19-teens. Uh, and the first division is, is what they did is they, they left headquarters in New York, and they said there's not going to be a Western department and that's what they called it western department and they made the headquarters in chicago so there's really a western department and an eastern department and they created a position called uh created a rank called lieutenant commissioners so you had the the national commander who at the time was evangeline booth and you had these two lieutenant commissioners one was in chicago one was in uh, uh new york so that's the beginning and then And then uh, just a few years later, they said, no, that's not good enough. So we're going to create the Western Territory, the Central Territory, and the Eastern Territory in New York, Chicago, and San Francisco. And uh, that worked pretty good for a while, but it still wasn't enough. And so in 1920, the early 1920s, before uh, the Depression, uh, they looked at the map and said, okay, the Western Territory is fine like it is. Let's take half of the Eastern and half of the of the Central and call it the Southern Territory, and uh, they drew the line um, roughly the old Confederacy, roughly, uh, and that was the South. Uh, the East is the East. The Central is the Central. And it's now it was New York, Chicago, uh, San Francisco, at, Atlanta. Now there was a it was kind of interesting. They actually competed. Cities competed for who's, where territory Headquarters was going to be because there was no; it was not sure. There wasn't a huge city. Atlanta today is a lot different than it was in 1927. So you had uh, Nashville, Dallas, um, Birmingham, Atlanta, and Charlotte, North Carolina, all were about the same size cities. And so territory Headquarters could have been in any of those uh, places. But somebody got word, and this was in the 20s. Now think about this. Somebody got word in the 20s that Atlanta was thinking about building an airport, <laughs> Yeah, it, you know, and no one else was even talking about this. And so they built an airport and that was the selling point. Uh, and so the territory headquarters moved to Atlanta in 1927. And uh, uh, it, it hasn't changed much. The, the borders, uh, we talked about this in a war cry uh, a couple, couple, uh, couple months back the borders haven't changed hardly at all which is it's fascinating to think about in in 100 years almost 100 years that you know the borders are the borders uh there's been some adjustments uh for a time el paso texas which is way out on the western panhandle of texas was was part of the western territory and that was that was reabsorbed back into the southern territory a few years ago uh parts of kentucky uh Uh, eastern Kentucky were part of the eastern territory, and that is now all back in the south, except for 10 counties. 10 counties down center, the center of Kentucky are part of the eastern territory. Uh, Little bits and pieces here and there get, you know, uh, taken over by, because this is closer to a core this way or that way. Uh, But those are now Uh, totally run, not by lieutenant commissioners. Lieutenant commissioners were done away with after World War II. Uh, They're full commissioners, all four of them. And then when that was created in the 20s, the first uh, commissioner's conference was held, which was the the territorial commanders and the chief secretaries of all the the territories uh, got together uh, at national headquarters with the national commander, and they would coordinate between themselves. Still going on today. We still host those uh, when possible here at... uh, national headquarters and of course there's still a national headquarters it was there's always been a national headquarters uh its role has changed and morphed over the years but there's always been a national commander uh we we kind of uh lucked out and that evangeline held on to her post for as long as she did 30 years so we could have had you know 15 or 20 different national commanders, but we just had one for 30 years. So that was, that helps in memorizing who they are.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But she was so dynamic and unusual. Yes. Yeah.
0: She With was, Angela. she, she had her, she had her faults as they all did, but uh, she, she, uh, uh, and she had all the, all the, all the, uh, I'll say faults, but she was much like her father. She was her father's favorite, uh, and so much like him in his, in her autocratic style uh, and she had she had different faces of of, of, of life she had her, her office face which was pretty serious down to business she had a public persona which was flamboyant and a wonderful speaker and uh, and then she kind of had her private private side as well when she went on vacation and that kind of thing mm-hmm
2: well i mean there is, it's so fascinating all that you know all the information you you have um and know about um are there some fun facts you can share with us about
0: oh there's, there's tons no. of them history? Uh, uh give us three. Oh gosh put me on the spot give, give me three fun yeah, facts. yeah that's tough <laughs> uh yeah, sorry well let's see uh yeah. You know, we built our own building, uh, headquarters building in, the, the 19 or 1890s. We built it was on 14th street in New York. Uh, that building served as national headquarters, territory headquarters until the thirties when it was demolished and a new one was built. Uh, that building is still there. You can go to New York, thir- 14th street, New York, and find the Salvation Army building. It's still there. Uh, still used. It's the, uh. New York temple Corps, I believe it is. Yeah. Yeah. Because they used to have Thursday, they used to have Thursday nights at the temple, which was, which was a, a, a regular meeting. Um, down in Atlanta, uh, this is another fun fact down in Atlanta, the uh, uh, local radio station, WSJ uh, back in the twenties uh, and thirties used to broadcast on Sunday nights uh, from the training college, uh, uh, the old training college chapel, they would spring in their mics and everything. And they would, uh, broadcast, uh, the service on, on Sunday nights, uh, once a month. And so the principal at the time was a guy by the name of Sidney Cox. And Sidney Cox is a famous Salvation Army uh, songwriter. And so he would write various pieces for these, uh, uh, broadcasts. And some of his most famous, uh, Works were were rehearsed by the training college staff and cadets, and they would get up and sing it, you know, literally on the radio. And then they would the radio guys would pack up and off they would go, and they would do it a month later. They did that for they did it up to World War II. Um, they would broadcast from the training school. I always thought that was kind of a cool little little fun fact. And um, uh, I think Jeff mentioned we're we're in we're in uh, work at Bulgaria now, which is a uh, fun uh, country 132 uh, on our, our roster of, of places. And uh, uh, if you don't know where Bulgaria is, it's down near Turkey, uh, north of Greece, a uh, big country. I don't think we've ever, uh, I, I looked to see, I don't think we've ever been at work in that country because at the time uh, when we were expanding and doing our things in Europe, uh, Bulgaria was part of the Ottoman uh, Turkish Empire. And so uh, would not have been open to us to work there. So uh, it's kind of fun that uh, uh, there's a great photo of uh, somebody did here at National Headquarters many years ago when we hit 100, uh, and I, I have that poster somewhere. It's this all the flags of the 100 countries, and thinking in the 20 some odd years uh, since we've we've added 32, uh, and there's still a lot more to go. I believe there's 214 countries in the world. So we have uh, a lot, and it's kind of funny, like you check them off and you say, well, what's left? And then you realize there are a lot of places that we're not, like in Africa and and the Middle East, that we're not at at all. So you're like, okay.
1: Tell our listeners, in conclusion, tell our listeners uh, what, what you're working on. You, you kind of mentioned it earlier mm-hmm. uh, you just kind of subtly dropped it in there. It's so <laughs> something you're, you're currently
0: working. Yeah. On. I'm finishing up uh, I did mention a uh, finishing up a, a book uh, about the more rebellion and, uh, uh, the early days of the army in America. Uh, it goes, uh, roughly through, uh, 1913. Uh, and that date is just kind of when they, when the, when the end of the, these copycat, uh, Salvation Armies happen. Uh, you know, in our early days, the people tried to copy us, and so they would, they would start their own little Salvation Army type thing, and, and they didn't really last as long uh, as they'd hoped, I guess. Uh, but it, it, it chronicles the early days of the Army in New York, Philadelphia. It goes on to talk about Thomas More and his little rebellion. And then what happens to that? And then uh, we talk about the reconciliation that happens, and then the rebuilding of the Salvation Army as one, uh, just one unit, uh, throughout the next uh, twenty years. And then the uh, the resignation of Ballington Booth, our national commander at the time, and and his wife, what they do with their lives after that, and then the um, uh, the next two national commanders, the uh, Frederick. Uh, and Emma Booth Tucker and then Evangeline who kind of ends the story because the uh in 1913 all of the legal uh, injunctions happen and and all these copycats basically go away. Uh, uh it's been a fun it's been a fun little project uh, uh working the, the joy about it has been that that uh, I work here at National Headquarters and our archives is just literally two floors down and I spent a lot of time down there a lot of afternoons just combing through files and books and telegrams and old war cries and i got war cry dust all over me if i ever you know get sick i'm going to blame blame 120 year old war cries uh but uh, uh if you find the most interesting fascinating things uh about uh the salvation army the salvation army of america which is a whole separate thing the american salvation army you know uh, which was a whole other different set of uh, – another whole different group. So you get all these groups together, and you're like, I can't keep them straight, and you got to remember who is who and who is what. Uh, but the best part of the whole thing was that in 1889, we had this uh, the, the group that rebelled early on return in this dramatic fashion in this big meeting uh, uh, up in Saratoga, New York, and they have this big emotional meeting, and everybody speaks, and, and that's, that's, that's uh, of anybody, and they walk out arm-in-arm arm singing at the top of their lungs, just like Salvationists would do uh, back in the day. Uh, and uh, only a small, very small group are disaffected by this reconciliation, and they go on and do something else. Uh, uh, so you actually have two or three different groups uh, who, who kind of compete, and th- that all kind of—it ends— the, f- the first ending happens in, uh, 1889. The second ending happens in 19, uh, three or four. And then the, the last ending happens, uh, in 1913. So it's going to be, a, it's going to be a fun, fun read. Uh, definitely a definite, uh, read for anybody interested in Salvation Army history, definitely for any new Salvationist in America, uh, because that's our history. That's who we are. That's there, there, there are reasons why we do the things we do in America, and part of that is because of all this stuff that happened 120, 140 years ago.
1: Well, you have, uh, you've gifted uh, Jeff and I the opportunity to look at some of your first drafts, and I can say to our listeners, you'll be wanting to get your copy of this book because it's, um, it's an easy read, it's a fun read, it's an interesting read. And uh, I'm really proud of the work that you're doing. I see uh, you're you're very passionate about it, and then also you're still kind of uh, doing what I'm asking you to do at times because we have other minutiae in our department that has to happen. And uh, so, major on behalf of the Fight for Good podcast, we thank you for coming back on, and we thank you for all the the hard work that you're doing behind the scenes, and we we hope that uh, our listeners will. Uh, give your articles a little bit of attention. We have you uh, in every episode of or every issue of the War Cry, and you can read Major Swain's work at the Warcry um, And you, I've also tasked you making sure you have stuff lined out for the rest of the year, and I think you already have done that.
0: Yeah, it's it's been hard to not write about what i'm writing about uh if that makes sense i'm writing about this whole early history here in america but i've got to i've got to also think about the articles that i write for the war cry which is highlights in history so i have to find interesting things that don't relate to what i'm writing about so i don't give up any uh well i
1: i understand that completely because yeah. i wrote on sabbath but you know i need to work, write on workaholism you know, <laughs> the benefits of it, it it's it's hard to to juggle the balls but uh we we really appreciate uh, you joining us today, and so we encourage our listeners again to uh, consider reading uh, the works. And uh, Elizabeth, I know you would like to hear comments. You, we we like the comments on our social media feeds about some of our historical things.
0: I love comments; those are great. Keep them coming.
1: Keep them coming, and then I know Jeff. You take sometimes you take those comments and you put them in print.
2: We did. We shared them with our readers, and Major Swain has set a high precedent for us to continue covering Salvation Army history, uh, which is a fascinating topic in and of itself and
1: almost inexhaustible. Since we've recorded this podcast, Major Swain is under farewell orders and will become the Corps officer in Ashland, Kentucky. We're grateful to Major Swain for all that he has done in our publications department here at National Headquarters these past three years. And we wish him all the best and Godspeed in his new appointment. Be looking for a book that will be published this summer by Major Swain that will be coming to you via Crestbooks and ChristianBooks.com. Well, that's going to end this episode of the Fight for Good podcast. Be sure to subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to follow the War Cry and Peer Magazine on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, this has been the Fight for Good podcast. Bye for now.
0: Subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts.